Welcome to another edition of Hockey the Podcast, your favorite sporting podcast, your favorite hockey podcast, and we are into episode 107. From my side, a happy new year, happy 2022. Great to bring in the new year with such a great guest. However, a man who you've already encountered so far this year is, as always, my partner in crime, Tyron Jabu Barnard. How you doing, Ty? Happy New Year, officially from me, but uh, of course, you've already the greeted, uh, greeted the listeners once already this New Year. Yeah, Derek, it has been a happy New Year, a good start to the year, and the hockey is about to get underway, so it's pretty exciting. Um, and yeah, you can't, can't really complain when in a year where uh, you get told that your national men's side is getting to play in the Pro League, and you have a good chance of getting to watch some top quality hockey here in your own country. So no complaints from me so far. Certainly none from me either. So a great way to kick off the year with news coming from that side. And, and we're speaking on the day that the Proteas have just defeated Namibia. Uh, what am I saying? Have just defeated India uh, in the second test at the Wanderers. So 2022 from a sporting perspective, really kicking off with a bang. And I mentioned at the top that we do have a very special guest. And you know what, I I know that hockey doesn't get the media attention it deserves, and we've always been banging that drum. But back in the day, that was especially the case. However, one man transcended that entirely because there wasn't a person around who was interested in sport who didn't know his name. And which is a massive achievement when it comes to hockey. It's a massive achievement when it comes to sport. And, of course, I'm talking about the man who is our guest this evening. Uh, Tell us more. Yeah, it's none other than uh, the new head coach of the Black Sticks, uh, New Zealand hockey. Uh, And uh, it is the the man who is the all-time top goal scorer for uh, South African men's hockey it is none other than Greg Nickel. Greg, welcome and uh, thanks for joining us. Of course, uh, a few, well, a couple of hours ahead of us, a day ahead of us as we speak. Yeah, good day, guys. Um, yeah, nice and early here in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, it's great to be on the show. I couldn't believe in the, in the intro there, 107 shows. That's pretty awesome. It's uh, it, it pales in comparison to the amount of goals you've scored, though, Greg. We, that's actually our aim in terms of the episodes that we are able to release, is to, to match the goals that you managed to net. No, well, I've listened to a few shows, so um, I'm sure you guys are going to go well past that, like, um, like hopefully one of these uh, young fellas playing in the, in the South African team are going to do as well at some stage. Yeah, Greg, uh, sorry, I was just having a technical issue there, but I, I heard you. Uh, of course, you ended your uh, career, as you said, uh, with, well, as Derek's already alluded to, an incredible, incredible amount of goals. You got more uh, You got more goals than you got games, and, and when you've played 160 games for your country, that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, you ended with 209 goals. It's a record that still stands today. I mean, you must be pretty proud of uh, looking back and then looking at that record and I don't know if sometimes you must just pinch yourself and think, geez, that's that's quite impressive. Yeah, well, listen, it was, it was a long time ago. And um, every now and again, you know, there's a group of us that catch up online and Zoom and stuff like that. And we talk about the good old days and, and that's a bit of fun. But um, I'm sort of almost waiting and watching in, 
hoping that someone's going to come out of the woodwork and just smash that to, you know, to dust. So that, that's sort of that's why you make records. Uh, I didn't I didn't play chasing the record; it just happened. And uh, but hopefully somebody else can chase it and smash it. And, and Greg, I mean, if you look back at your career, it's it's pretty damn impressive because you also you hung up your your stick. 165 tests is a lot of tests, but at the age of 30. Uh, do you ever look back and think ah, maybe I should have hung on for a few more years or, or no, was well, it the right time? No, well, actually, that, that stat there has been updated. Um, so what happened was I did stop and then Revs got me back for another 35 tests in the build-up to Athens. So the, I actually got up to 200. Um, okay. And, yeah, but I had that. I, I had 18 months where I didn't play. I sort of uh, I got an injury leading up to Com Games in 2002, and then the body just didn't really want to recover well. So I took 18 months off, and had basically retired. And then Revo, who, you know, good mates with him, and the team had, I think they'd lost out on an African qualification for Athens, and he, and he said, oh, I'll come and have one more hit, and that was quite good, and yeah, we managed to get in luckily and uh, finished off then in, in in Athens. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, if you look at that, I mean, '96 you went to Atlanta. Obviously, the uh, frustration of 2000 um, must have been nice to at least round it off with uh, the second, the second uh, uh, Olympic Games. Yeah, like you know, when you when you play a sport like hockey, that's that's the carrot is the Olympic cycle, you know, so um, missing out in 2000, obviously it, it did one of two things for people It either ended their career where they said, no, well, I'm not, I'm not hanging around or it gave people a little bit more fuel to go. Well, then we've got to do even better to make sure that we definitely don't miss, miss out on the next one. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was obviously disappointing, but, things happen and you know the cycle carried on and you know now the, the team's back on track and back in olympics and us you know did did well in tokyo and things like that so it's good to see greg and i spoke a bit about it at the top of the show but i wasn't blowing smoke up your ass i was being 100 true and factual but i remember back in the day watching the likes of you brian liebenbach etc and it wasn't just me it was uh, and I use the word transcend, and, and that's exactly what you managed to achieve. Hockey wasn't the biggest sport back then. It still isn't the case now. We're trying to change that day by day, podcast by podcast, every little bit of coverage that we can. But you you were, and you still are, a household name among South African sporting fans. And did you, did you have that sense? And, and you must be pretty proud of that achievement because – it takes a pretty big effort to become a household name as a hockey player, as as you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think of it like that. But um, again, you know, probably the Olympic profile is the bit that triggers that. You know, um, if hockey didn't, have, if hockey wasn't in the Olympics um, or or Commonwealth Games or things that tune people into the sport. Then it um, yeah, probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened quite like that for me. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you know you guys have got going now is this pro league, where, like um, Joby said, you, you're going to have a few, you're going to have people watching a bit more regularly. 
um, on TV or whatever it is. And um, that's the bit that's going to create heroes. So, you know, if a team can perform well or if individuals can step up and, you know, I don't know, take the world by storm, so to speak, then that's going to create the profile. It's going to just, and it just accumulates and snowballs as you go. Yeah. Yeah, another great achievement is what we witnessed uh, towards the end of last year in Tokyo when we saw the South African men uh, put up a, a stirring performance over in Japan, including that victory over Germany. And it, it, it's amazing. You, you speak about how it certainly does attract fans playing at the Olympics. But not just that, I think it's the introduction to new fans. And you know, I know, Tyra knows how exciting, how appealing hockey is. And it's when people actually sit down and watch that haven't done it before. And we find that with the Olympics a lot because once you have a little bit of knowledge about a bit of a sport, it opens up a whole new world for you. And firstly, being able to compete at the Olympics is massive. Secondly, being able to perform at the Olympics makes an even better statement. And and that's what I found. And... Uh, I just love the fact that I speak to new fans, as you mentioned, with the, the Olympic tag, where they go, wow, it's actually an incredible sport to watch. Yeah, it is. And um, it's it's sort of like, uh, you know, I, I like the way you put that, you know, new, new fans to the sport. But, you know, they're, they're, the diehards, they live for those moments as well. You mm. know? So it's a pity, it's a pity that uh, Tokyo didn't allow spectators. But, you know, the diehards, they plan their life around that four-year cycle as well. So it's sort of, well, what are you going to do in four years' time? Are we going to the Olympics to go and watch the, the hockey? You know, and um, I remember I was working for New Zealand at the Rio Olympics and um, happened to just bump into four or five mates from Varsity days all watching hockey, um, you know, from South Africa. And... That just doesn't. That's just not going to happen if it's just a series against somebody in some country. But because it's the Olympic Games, you know they've planned a whole month-long holiday and, and trip to go and watch this awesome sporting event. So, you know, if you can wrap your your program and your performances around those key events, then um, you're going to build the base. You're going to build um, the a whole bunch of new watchers of the sport, like you said, and that's going to drive you know the income income streams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah. Uh, yeah, Greg, uh, another thing that, uh, I mean, if you talk about Olympic goals, uh, Olympic Games, uh, a big record that stands out is, of course, yours. Uh, I did a, a, a post during the World Cup, uh, during the Olympic Games, about the South African goals and South African's second highest goal scorer at Olympic Games has got five, and that's Austin Smith, and he's been to three. And then far, far ahead is you with 15. I mean, <laughs> That's an unreal amount of goals. I mean, what was it about your game, do you think, and, and now as a coach, that made you so lethal? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Hard to remember some of those goals. Um, but no, I think, well, one, I played in a pretty good team. We had a, you know, through 98 through to 2004, you know, we were comfortably ranked between eight and 10 in the world, you know, like we, we, and we played to that. Um, so I had a whole good bunch of guys who um, had connected well. So I got, I got a, some really good ball for a long, long time. And um, there are probably two things that stick out for me. Well, one, 
I'll also drag flick. So, you know, that helps when you're a striker that you've got some drag flicking skills as well. So I could top up um, my field goals with a, with a few drag flicks every now and again. I wasn't the quickest drag flicker. I had a whole bunch of guys in the team who were way quicker than me, but I just managed to put it in the corner every now and again. Um, and then on the field, probably the bit that sticks out is probably the anticipation. So my skill was probably knowing where the ball was going to be quicker than others knew where it was going to be. Um, and then just, yeah, you know, took advantage of that in a variety of different ways. So that was probably the thing that stood out. If someone said, well, what was the key difference? It was probably, you know, that anticipation of what was going to happen next. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I unfortunately in those days we didn't get as much uh, hockey coverage. There wasn't live streaming; it was very limited. But even as a, a youngster growing up, and, and I'm not that much younger than you, but uh, I remember uh, seeing you in action and thinking, "Geez, this guy's really good." And I didn't actually realize it at the time just how good uh, you were. And you know, it it makes you think a little bit that we haven't had that level of excitement in our striking in South Africa since you retired until now. Um, as an ex, uh, as an ex national player, as somebody who's involved in the, the hockey world still, what is your thoughts on that current South African attacking triumvirate of the Kasim brothers and Billy and Tuli? Yeah, listen, it, it was exciting to watch in Tokyo, you know, um, certainly got, some serious skill on the ball. Um, and, you know, when you, when you play international hockey, you know, most of the time, the best you can create is, is one-on-one -on -one situations. Creating overloads is, 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 is really hard. Um, you, you've got to be exceptional in your shape and things like that. So, but you can create one-on-one -on -one opportunities. So if you've got players like the ones you've just mentioned who can eliminate um, their one-on-one -on -one defender, then they're going to create an overload. Um, somewhere in that attacking third, and and that's just going to create heaps and heaps of chances. The other bit that I like is that they, you know, they're not scared. They, they play. It looks like they're playing with no fear, which is how you're going to create. You got to at some point you got to risk, and um, the bits that they'll learn along the way will will help them with consistency in performance. You know, so that that's those types of performances are not one-off things. Um, you, you can get some more consistency in how you play. Um, but certainly exciting to watch. Um, it, you know, I didn't watch the team play for a while until Tokyo, and um, I was really pleased to see some of the some of the stuff that came out of it. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but uh, no doubt listeners will be picking up on the accent and thinking, "Hold on a sec, can you hear a bit of a twang <laughs> here and there?" So we sit, we chatting to you quite late at night. SA side reason being is that you're based over in New Zealand, and uh, you've been there for for quite a while now, Greg. Yeah, I got you in 2007. Um, so, yeah, it's been been a while. And, um, yeah, I've been involved with the New Zealand Hockey Programme pretty much from the first day that I that I came into New Zealand. Um, done a whole, you know, so did did Beijing with the New Zealand men as an assistant coach, uh, London uh, Olympic campaign with the women as an assistant coach, and then, and then got picked up again in the Rio campaign. So Tokyo is the first one I've missed for a while, actually. Yeah. So you, you mentioned assistant quite a few times. However, uh, you can chuck that off uh, your title because uh, you recently got the big gig. 
Yeah, no, I'll start. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, I'll start on 1st of February. So, um, you know, at the moment, just um, I'll, I'll, move, I'll move up to Auckland. Our program's based up in Auckland. So, um, you know, January for me is a, an organisational month, just making sure I've got all my all the plans in place and uh, sorting out my house and getting up to Auckland. And, yeah, we, we kickstart everything off with a camp in the first week of um, February. To, to pick our squad and and then move forward. Yeah, exciting times. Was it always part of the pipeline for, for you to be eventually appointed? Of course, from your side, you'd say yes, and that was the, the obvious goal. But, I mean, was it just going through a matter of formalities uh, for you to be appointed, or, or or did it take a bit of graft and did it come as, as a bit of a surprise? <laughs> no, it's it's been, a, it's been quite a long road. Um, and, like, probably... Four or five years ago, it's definitely something I was chasing and and wanting. And then I stepped away from the environment for a little bit, um, got into some commercial uh, projects and bought a bought a business and did some other stuff, which sort of took me away from the international game for a little bit. Um, but the the lure of the role, you know, always brought me back. So um, for me. Yes, it's uh, it was something that I was always going to want to do, and um, you know now I've got a chance, and you know we've we've got some exciting things coming up. You know, Com Games in six months' time, and um, World Cup in a, in twelve months, and then we you know we it's not far off from Paris. So um, because of the delay of Tokyo, this next cycle is going to be pretty pretty um, congested and quick. Going to hand back to Tyrant shortly, and uh, I know we're going to continue with the New Zealand theme. But uh, you mentioned having a look; it looked as if you're pretty affair with uh, what's happening in South African hockey. Still, uh, do you still keep tabs on on how things are going down Africa's side? Oh, enough. You know, not probably. Clo- you know, not really closely, but. Um, I'm a sporting tragic, you know, so <laughs> anything that's going on in sport around the world, I, I, I tend to have my finger on the pulse. So, um, yeah, it's as an outsider, just keeping an eye on things. Yeah, for sure. Well, Greg, I mean, obviously you say as an outsider and uh, the accent says you're an outsider, but is the heart ever longing for a return back to South Africa? And, uh, and I know that's a hard question, but should the opportunity ever arise, would being the national head coach for South Africa be something that would be attractive to you uh, in, in a dream world where you fully are compensated for the role? <laughs> uh, hey, I've got a, I've got a job here to do, um, which I'll, I'll focus on for now. Um, you know, I'm probably someone who, you know, never say never. Um, so that's probably about the safest answer I can have for that one. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry, we won't send that to your employers. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Greg, obviously, as, as it stands, New Zealand sitting ninth in the world. The last year a bit has been quite tough because um, the country has been really, really strict on the COVID restrictions and, and the ability to participate in things like Pro League hasn't been there and uh, withdrawn. We've seen the indoor side withdrawn from the, the Indoor World Cup. Is there still quite a positive vibe, or, uh, or have players started to feel a little bit defeated by, you know, by the system? No, um, they're definitely not defeated, um, and the vibe's good. You know, um, I think one of, one of the things that happens when you have a, a change in leadership in a team is it invigorates a few people, um, and so we've we've got the 
the next sort of month or two is going to probably just set the set the tone um, for how we go about our next bit. And like I said, when you've got things like Com Games and World Cup, you know, in the pipeline, six months, twelve months ahead, um, these guys are going to be rearing to go in the, as soon as we hit the ground in the next few weeks. Um, yep, pro league and and COVID and all that sort of stuff is 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 challenging, um, but you know, Kiwis are fundamentally problem solvers, and they've had they've had to problem solve, and they've had to do other things to make sure that we stay up to speed and things like that, and we'll continue to do that. And no doubt that when World Cup arrives and com games arrives we're going to be um where we need to be to to do well and perform and and greg obviously the the past two years have seen the world rankings change back when you played back when most people uh were wa- watching uh hockey was very much a tournament-based ranking system uh that's of course changed every single test match uh match now counts for ranking points is that something that national coaches have started to give thoughts to at all um, you know, now that each test match carries some sort of importance, not to say tests didn't always carry importance, um, but is it something that, that fits into a coach's mind? It certainly fits in mine. Um, I was about to say that if I had finally got my letter, because, um, yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, I'm involved in a lot of a lot of sport. And um, as I say, my sporting tragic. So I've always thought that our, the hockey world ranking system needed to be based on more games, um, not just the signature tournaments. So I, I really like it. I think it puts a it puts a slightly different spin on each match. Um, although that's not why you're playing for ranking points, but it certainly allows um, you know shifts, more regular shifts in the rankings throughout the year. Greg, you've been in the New Zealand setup for over a decade now, and no doubt that the the players that play under you, um, as time goes on, they become more aware of you as Greg Nickel, the coach, as opposed to Greg Nickel, the former player. And <laughs> do they do they realise that they are in the presence of greatness, given what you achieved <laughs> as a player? Oh. <laughs> No, no, there's a few guys who are still around in the system who, you know, more on the coaching staff that I've played against. Um, but no, it's, it's, you're talking about two, two different things. Mm. Um, and, and that's probably one of the things that for people who have played and then transitioned into coaching, it's, it's one of the things that is quite hard is to transition from player to coach. And, when I actually stopped, so when I finished internationally, I carried on playing club hockey and I carried on playing a little bit of competitive hockey here and there. And um, actually, probably when I stopped playing totally is when my coaching was allowed to grow the most. Um, you see the game with a different lens. Um, you don't live and breathe the moment as much. You see the game from a bigger picture. Um, and so I've sort of tried to not disassociate myself from that playing uh, persona, but really drive the coaching persona more. Uh, but just sticking on that point regarding the, the presence of greatness, and uh, I know this sounds like the Greg Nickel praise-seeking show, but 
Uh, I, I mean, do you ever get moments where the guys come up and they go, hey, coach, we just saw footage of you playing back at the Olympics and you, you needed another goal. We couldn't believe what we were watching. Uh, again, I know that they relate to you as Greg Nickel, the coach. And th- does it ever, do moments like that ever happen where suddenly they met with the fact, hey, the guy that's telling us what to do, in fact, was an incredible player back in the day himself? No, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. No, we, 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 it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. No. <laughs> uh, now, this leads me to my next question, and I, I've posed it a, a couple of times, and Tyron's going to hear this and think, oh, God, we're going back to that question again. And, and I always ask this to coaches who, who were former players. And, and again, I'm going to relate it to someone where um, it was a cricketing story, and I spoke to a, a player, and I asked him who who was the, the worst captain you ever played under. And he gave a name of a very prominent cricketer, and he said the reason why he was such a bad captain was because the guy was so talented, he just expected mere mortals to be able to do what he could do, which they couldn't. And do you find that, I remember chatting to Pidi Kutsia not too long ago, and, and she completely related, saying that, of course, we know what, what she's managed to achieve in, in, in the world of hockey, and... She struggled initially making that transition from being a player to a coach in trying to get players to do what she was able to do, yet it's practically impossible. And, and, and again, I'm going to say it with you, because not everyone's a Greg Nickel. Very few people are in the world, and you've got to try and get people to, to become something like you. And Did you find that tough at first? No. Not really. Like I didn't really look at it like that. Um, you know what I what I did on the field was one specific thing, and the game of hockey is you know a million different things. So um, I sort of just try to focus on the other the other stuff initially. Um, and one of the one of the fundamental things around my coaching philosophy is to try and make everyone the best version of themselves. Um, so not to pigeonhole people and to try and make them all play the game like you want them to play the game, rather to, you know, look at their strengths and see how you can make those world-class rather than trying to mould them into the type of player that you want them to be. Um, and that's not easy all the time because you've always got that lens of how you played or how you see the game. But if you can try and... Um, keep it as, you know, what's best for that player, um, then you're going to avoid, you know, thinking of it like yourself. And um, I actually wasn't that, I wasn't that textbook. You know, if somebody wrote a, a textbook on hockey, it, it wouldn't have include, included too much of the stuff that I did. Um, so, you know, the more I let people just explore and do things the way they want to do, probably the more reward I got as a coach. Uh, Greg, I mean, you speak a lot about the, the, the being a coach and obviously you had some uh, some great coaches over the years. You would have encountered the likes of Gavin Featherstone, uh, Paul Rivington, you already spoke about, um, uh, uh, Robbie Pullen. I, I mean, who in your career are coaches that you've uh, taken little bits of in developing the coach you've become today? Yeah, Um I've been really lucky um, both as a player and as a coach. So lucky, I mean, you mentioned some of those coaches. Uh, you know, Giles Bonnet is another one who 
coached uh, the South African team for a while with with you know I played under him. Um, Giles is probably like tactically, he'd be right in the top level that I've ever worked under. Um, and and then fortunately in my time here in New Zealand, you know I've worked under three three coaches in the national program: Shane McLeod, who has now taken Belgium to you know, an Olympic and World Cup title. So I was assistant coach to him and, you know, got to learn from him. I worked under Mark Hager, who, you know, did wonderful things with a New Zealand woman and then, you know, just won a bronze medal with with Great Britain. Um, and then Colin Batch as well, um, who he coaches Australia now um, and took them to a silver medal at the Olympics. So those are, the, you know, the last three coaches that I've worked under. So, um I try and take a little bit out of each of them. I'm, uh, similar sort of mindset to what I talked about with the players, you know, is um, I want to develop my own style of coaching and be the best type of coach that I can possibly be. But in doing that, take little snippets out of the names that I've just mentioned and, you know, little learnings from there and little learnings from there. But fundamentally trying to be, you know, my style of coach rather than trying to coach like someone else. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how you played as well. And, I mean, around the world, we see a lot of South Africans doing some incredible stuff. Derek brought about and Petey Kutsia. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we had coaches in the gold, gold, silver, and bronze. Dave Staniforth, Greg Clark, uh, Ned. I mean, these are all guys you played hockey alongside. I, is there a little bit of an excitement on, on taking on your your former allies, your former peers, your former your former colleagues, and getting one over them before uh, you go grab a beer in the change room afterwards? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mentioned earlier, we have like a, you know, every couple of months we have a catch up and those guys are on that, on that call, you know? Um, so, and I've had a, you know, I chat to Stanny quite a lot. Um, he's just across the pond and, you know, the Aussie New Zealand rivalries, you know, as strong as it's ever been. So we, we have good chats and, and get to catch up quite a bit. And um, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. You know, Ned and I were, Ned and I played a pretty same year at school, um, played, you know, probably all of my 200 tests. Ned was probably involved in all of those, um, certainly 90% of them. So, and we used to have some tussles at training. I'll tell you what, that was, um, that was one of the best things I, I enjoyed in my time in the team was some of the tussles I had with the likes of Clarky and Ned and, and those guys. So really looking forward to it. Um, so pleased they're going so well around the world and um, yeah, looking forward to having a challenge and, and a beer afterwards as well. And, and if uh, we could uh, twist your arm to say which uh, one guy, not because of the country they're at, but which one guy just uh, you, you'd love to get one over just for the gifts. <laughs> Well, it's yeah. Listen, we we need to get one over Oz, um, so it's going to be that. Um, Aussie obviously had the had the number of New Zealand over the last few years, and um, yeah, we need we need to change that over the next wee while. So, um, unfortunately, that's for Stanny then, because he's the goalkeeping coach. Yeah, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. <laughs> It's a subject we always deal with, Greg, every single episode, especially when it's someone as well-traveled as you, myself and Ty, massive fans of being able to travel. Of course, we've been curbed somewhat over the last two years because of COVID. 
and you are in undoubtedly one of the most beautiful countries in the world, New Zealand. I've only ventured into the North Island, but uh, yeah, from what I saw, it was enough. Uh, take us through some of your the best countries that you've been to that hockey has afforded you the opportunity to visit. Jeez, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, crikey. Um, for me, it's probably going to be somewhere in South America. Um, you know, I, I still remember coaching um, when I was coaching with a women's team with New Zealand women, and we played in Chile. Uh, we mm. had a we had a five match series against Chile on the build up to going to a World Cup. Um, or a champs trophy when those were still on, or champs challenge, or whatever you want to call them. Um, and sitting on a, sitting up on a stand, watching a hockey game with the with the Andes in the background, you know, just um, quite exceptional. So, yeah, I'd probably say somewhere in South America, which is for me just a, a crazy, crazy, crazy place. Yeah, you're not the first person. In fact, I've because I've been to Chile a few times. My mom actually grew up there. And who was it, Ty? Can you remember who who picked out Chile as their top three? Uh, wasn't it Tegan Free? It could have been, been, actually. I remember it was a lady. Uh, but yeah, Chile is certainly not... Um, yeah, it's not the first time that we, we've heard it mentioned. It, it really, really is up there. And uh, come on, Greg, throw, throw one more into the mix and you can't say New Zealand or South Africa. <laughs> um, oh... Yeah, we. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to say Zimbabwe. Oh, lovely! My first tour it was my first tour for South Africa. We um, we were in a, new, a South African under twenty one team, and we went out um, to Zimbabwe for an under twenty one tour. And um, I'm not sure. It's, I'm not sure those tours will be the same now. But um, it was. It would have been 1993, and. Um, yeah, just sensational. That you know, still played, still played some test matches on grass, and you know, game farms every second oh. day. Oh, just quite exceptional there. Yeah. So, so in 2018, I actually toured with the South African indoor women's side, and we went to them to Harare, and uh, uh, we actually played on a tennis court where Belgatex laid a new surface on the tennis court, and they built like stands around. It was the first ever indoor hockey test matches played in Zimbabwe, obviously indoor hockey played outside which was quite interesting itself but uh, i remember going to the the shop and why i say this is it's a little bit different from <laughs> uh, from maybe what you experienced greg is i went to the shop and there was an atm so i went to the atm and i put my card in because it's like a bit of some money to pay and the security guard started laughing at me and i was like what, what's the issue he's like well, there's no cash in this country you know, and, uh, swipe your card and i was like swipe, okay i'll swipe my card and of course they use uh they use a cell phone banking system where they yeah. pay their phones and yeah, it was just quite advanced but uh it's a beautiful country but uh yeah i think you and i maybe experienced it somewhat differently 25 years <laughs> I, I, funny enough, I had my first rugby tour uh, to Zimbabwe, and that was 98. It wasn't as high profile as yours, Greg. Mine was just a, on a school rugby tour, and uh, we, we spent about three weeks in the country. I absolutely loved it. And, uh, of course, when you're there in a team environment, uh, just makes things a whole lot better. And I wanted to go. The, the one weekend we spent at Victoria Falls, and we were deciding – 
uh, we only had so much cash and we could afford to do one of two things, either go whitewater rafting or bungee jumping. And we thought, well, the, the whitewater rafting makes so much more sense because it's an entire day affair. Plus, you do it as a team. It, it's brilliant for team bonding. Let's do that. Plus, I'd heard that if you jump naked, you go for free anyway with the bungee. So <laughs> on the Saturday, we went and we whitewater rafted. And on the Sunday, I went over to, to the bridge at um, Vic Falls and overlooking the Zambezi. And there's an Australian running the show, as they pretty much do all over the world when it comes to bungee, and I started to take off my kit. And, and the guy came running over and go, hey, what the hell are you doing, mate? I said, ah, oh, take off my clothes. And he said, why? So I said, no, I want to jump naked. He goes, no, it only applies to women. <laughs> 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 typical, typical Australian. Uh, always trying to get one back over the sappers. But uh, just, just on the subject with travel, of course, that's been a very con- contentious issue uh, for New Zealand uh, of late. Um, because of the strict lockdown measures in place. Uh, I'm sure you, you must have felt the impact uh, your side. Yeah, a little bit, um, but you know, I haven't really sort of thought about it too much. It's just got, got on with life and, you know, internally traveling around and uh, there's enough to do here internally. So we haven't really, you know, from a personal point of view, it hasn't impacted my, my life much. But obviously now with this new role, um, you know, you, d- daily things are changing, weekly things are changing. So it does become a critical part of how you plan and how you prepare. So um, over the next few weeks, I've got to get my head around that and, and, and try and work out the, the impact over the next 12 months. Greg, uh, one of the things uh, that uh, today... Uh, while we're recording this, this is probably going to be released in a couple of days after we record. But uh, South Africa and India played a, a cricket test. Uh, and there was a bowler bowling for India, Takur. And they said that his nickname is Beefy. Now, of course, that's a nickname you know very well, uh, being <laughs> that it's your nickname. What, what is the, uh, the heritage or the, the lineage of Beefy? Where does it come from? Beefy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, There's probably two things. I was, uh, I, was, I was chunkier when I was at school. I was a bit chunkier than I am now. Um, that was that was one of the, the aspects. And the other one was sort of when I was playing. I was a cricketer at school, and every time I was bowling or batting, and you know when you're kids, you're running up and you're pretending to be your hero. My hero was Ian Botham. So I used to run in and bowl, and I'd be going out Botham bowling to whoever. And when I was batting, it would be somebody bowling to both of them. So, and his nickname's Beefy. And so the chunkiness and the affiliation with both of them just um, stuck and had a couple of mates at school that um, just called me that and just stuck. Uh, it's, it's a brilliant thing. In fact, they actually said Takura's nickname also came from Ian Botham because I think he replicated something he did in a test match. So the team all just started calling him Beefy. So Ian Botham is uh, popular all over the world. Of course, uh, nicknames are great. And we know in the, the world of sport, nicknames are, are rough. You know, mine is Jabu, which means happiness, because that's what sport is. Uh, Derek's nickname, we can't tell you because this is a PG-13 show. Um, but were there any other great nicknames you encountered over the years? Teammates, players that uh, still leave you with a little bit of a smile today? Um. 
Well, uh, I, we, we're in Australia. One of the best nicknames, I think, is John Eels, is nobody. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, because nobody's perfect. We were lucky enough to meet John. Um, we were in Australia in the build-up to the Athens Olympics, and uh, we were playing Australia, and he came down to watch, and myself and, and Clark, he went and, and introduced us ourselves to him and yeah I think I think his nickname's the best um geez we've got a couple there's a couple we can't talk about really you might have to ring Michael Cullen and and talk to him about some of his uh nicknames including the the nickname Koki um so that's a PG-13 one as well um yeah I don't know some some good some good ones there I, I remember hearing that I think it was Mark War. The guys used to call him uh, Korea, and uh, sorry, the Falklands. Falklands, and they said, "Why?" Because no, because he's the forgotten war. You know why his brother was called Tugger, hey? Uh-uh. Because tug of war, Tugger war. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> so it wasn't even that that smart. It was just oh, Tugger war. <laughs> um, I mean, they should call Manus Lovaskachny no run. <laughs> the, seeing that we're speaking cricket, uh, Greg, what did you make of Bangladesh's historic victory over your fellow countrymen uh, the other day? Yeah, she's it's uh, t- test champions and going into the new year, so uh, that's not a good start. Um, obviously, not having Kane Williamson makes a big difference, but. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure they're going to bounce back in the next in the next go. I think it's a couple of days, and they they're going again. Might even be starting again today. Yeah, I spoke about it at the beginning as well. Is the Proteus sensational win over India in the second test? Did uh, you watch that at all? A, a tremendous captain's knock from Dean Elgar. Yeah, and no, I, I keep uh, you know, as I say, I'm a sporting tragic, so I, I keep my finger on the pulse with most of this stuff and anything that's that's on the box. Um, you know. I'll, stay up and watch and yeah it's good you know the, the team's gone through some tough tough times and you know there's all sorts going on but that's a good win anytime you beat India is, is is a good one Greg a very very important question and and it could uh hurt or or help your legacy here in South Africa <laughs> Springboks or All Blacks oh no it's it's from it's a funny one that um when I moved here a lot of my Mates who know me, they um, they said, "Oh, it's about time you moved to New Zealand because of my affiliation with the All Blacks." So when I when we grew up as kids, the the, the box didn't play. Yeah, you know the box were in isolation, and um, so I supported the All Blacks because I was a rugby tragic as well. I supported the All Blacks a bit like you would support Liverpool or Man United. You know, so not as a country, but more of a sporting team. Um, let's just say the perfect World Cup final for me is um, South Africa versus the All Blacks. Uh, and what, what what jersey would you be wearing? Half I'd be half. wearing a I'd be wearing an All Black jersey with a with a green and gold um, beanie. <laughs> and and proteas uh, and black caps. Oh yeah, it's, it's that's a that's the same probably. Um, <laughs> the the, the Proteas one is. Drifted a bit. My affiliation with that team's drifted a little bit. I'll tell you why. Because early on, or early on when I was in New Zealand, there was still a whole bunch of guys that I knew from the cricket team. You know, guys I played cricket with. You know, that were still in the team. And um, 
you know, Kellis and Boucher and Pollock and all those guys. And um, But it's, I sort of don't really know any of the players anymore, uh, just not living in South Africa and not involved in South African sports. So I follow it and watch it, but um, not probably with the same affiliation. Yeah. Let's let's bring it back though to to hockey to to kind of wrap the interview. We know you've got to get along with your day, and uh, I, I probably have to have some beauty sleep at some point. Um, but uh, what, what's next on the cards? Obviously, you start with uh, New Zealand hockey with Black Sticks on the first of Feb. What uh, is your next assignment uh, before Commonwealth Games? Yeah, so we've got a couple of internal things to to kick us off we've got a selection camp um, and then we have got a like a north south top series which p- puts our best against our best and then Aussie are coming out in April um, for for a series and that'll build us up and then hopefully on the way through to Birmingham we can um, you know arrange a whole lot of uh, training games and that sort of stuff through Europe um, so that's that's our our main thing, and then we'll reassess once we get back from Com Games and and sort out our preparation as we lead into that World Cup in India. And, and Greg, as as the coach of the national team, how much would you like uh, your stars all going to play over in Europe? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, we we support it. Um, we think it's a good thing. Um, people have the ability to then be as close to professional hockey players as they can possibly be. Um, probably the thing that I'll just take a little bit more care with is making sure that uh, players are going to the right clubs where they're getting the right support um, and they're getting challenged in the right way Um, so you know just going to Europe to play uh, I think can be dangerous going to Europe with a specific plan um, with a specific club with a specific coach um, is really really beneficial yeah, absolutely. Well, we look forward to seeing how you go. Uh, we will be honest, and we hope you win every game against Australia. We don't mind if you beat Belgium, <laughs> India, Egypt. We, we just hope you have a hiccup when you play against the South Africans. Because uh, when it comes to hockey, we know that New Zealand are already a bogey side for South Africa in all the major tournaments. When the two sides have met, New Zealand always gets one over us. And now uh, they have one of our best weapons at the home. So it, it's uh, it's going to be tough. And uh, we don't mind if you throw in a favor here or there. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, Greg, of course, at the start, I alluded to uh, your goals and games. Of course, uh, that was after you first retired. Just to correct that, it was 244 goals in 200 games. So... More than a goal a game, 1.25 goals a game. That is an incredible record. It's a record you can be immensely proud of. We as South Africans are immensely proud that you did that for us. Uh, Someone had to make Sahel Abbas uh, a bit scared of them coming to take their record. Of course, uh, he scored about 1,600 goals, so it's a bit (laughs) far to catch. But, uh, you know, it's a record that's going to stand, I think, for a very long time. Um, But there is an exciting group of players coming up that uh, hopefully are going to do their best to chase it down. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, you have been a hero for me for many, many years, and it's been great to chat with you. Thank you for for making the time. I did ask you at the start, and and because I haven't finished reading all the legal journals, I'm going to do this this time, and then maybe I don't do it again. But I asked you uh, before we chatted, 
just what was the song you listened to to get in the mood, get in the row, uh, you know, get pumped up? And you did go for a South African artist, not a New Zealand artist. Uh, do you want to share with everybody what it is, uh, who it is you chose, and if there's anything special about the song that uh, that gets you that excited and pumped for a game? No, listen, I, I mean, the, for me, it's anything from Johnny Clegg. Um, so, you know, when I when I lived in South Africa and even now, you know, I, I love the bush. I um, used to go to the bush all the time. Um, and, yeah, it's just, you know, for me growing up, just an iconic artist. And, um, you know, it's a bit different in our day. We didn't have, you know, these <laughs> Spotify and all these different things. You know, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to carry a Walkman around or something like that. It's a bit different. But, um, yeah, anything from Johnny Clegg for me. But uh, The Great Heart was probably the favourite. Yeah, it's an iconic singer, Johnny Clegg, and it is an iconic hockey man, Greg Beefy Nickel, the head coach of the New Zealand Black Sticks. Derek, last year's from you. Yeah, Greg, an honor to chat to you. Like I said, growing up, uh, you were seriously one of the sporting heroes of mine, and it didn't matter what sport it was, uh, you were right up there. And uh, yeah, congratulations on all you have achieved and uh, continue to achieve over in New Zealand. Uh, we won't be wearing half and half when New Zealand plays South Africa, but every other time New Zealand plays anyone else, uh, we will be backing uh, the men in black. Uh, congratulations once again, and uh, yeah, we can't wait to see you uh, in person sometime soon. No, cheers. Thanks for the time, guys, and good luck with the show. It's uh, bloody awesome, man. the heaven